I don't work in healthcare. I know Pat has, as she said, for a long time, and uh, she's probably forgotten more about it than I'll ever know. But the way I think about healthcare is it's really three distinct things, really. Um, you have chronic disease management, which is probably the most costly part of it. You have acute emergency or sickness tr treatment. You know, that's when you get the cold or break your leg. And then you have the whole wellness and prevention uh, leg of healthcare. And if we want to change the game in American healthcare, I think we got to focus on the last one, the prevention and the um, wellness uh, aspect of it. Uh, and I would, this, ca this ca question came up at the end of a forum we had at VU about a week and a half ago. And I suggested something which sounds Pollyannish perhaps on the surface, but I mean it sincerely. And that is, as our neighborhoods grow stronger, as our community bonds, our personal relationships strengthen, our, our knowledge of one another's personal situations and health, that includes health, uh, becomes stronger. And I think we can use that knowledge to help one another. I have a bit of a different view than Bill on that. Um, I can tell you if this issue came before the city council, the answer under the current administration would be, that's not part of our jurisdiction. We do anything like that, you know, we make any resolutions, we come out in support of anything that is not within our jurisdiction, we would look foolish downstate. That's been the general response to anything that they do not see as within their jurisdiction. <laughs> I feel differently. I think as a city council, you are leaders of the community. And I think you do have a responsibility to take a position on it as leaders of the community. Years ago, when this issue of selling the hospital came up, I asked one of the people who was currently running for office and who was then on the county council, what do you think you're doing? This was a public hospital, it was a county hospital with a public charter. It was run as a nonprofit. However, there was no county money, no county uh, tax dollars that was ever contributed to the running of that hospital. You know why? Because it was run efficiently. The benefit was that if they did run into trouble, they could have come back to the community and said, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to sell it? Do you want to raise taxes? You know, how do we go about supporting our own hospital? So I have a bit of a different view. I think we do have a responsibility because we know what a serious issue this is for every family along with jobs and housing. And I think as leaders of the city, we need to take a position on it. Yeah, actually, uh, my comments were very similar to Sue's comments. I've, I've uh, regretted um, that lately in our uh, city council, we, we've not um, been willing to take action toward you know the state or uh, the county. Uh, for example, not long ago, we had a kind of a, a issue with the landlord-tenants relationship, and our city kind of hid behind while the Indiana Code prevents us from doing anything while other cities have been in such situations and have been able to work around it. It's uh, like uh, we say, when there's a, a will, there's a way. Uh, I think there are a lot of issues that are not city council issues. For example, uh, the environment, uh, healthcare, uh, that where we will need uh, to uh, maybe push some resolutions at the state level. And uh, also, uh, I think there's a lot of work that can be done with other municipalities. I've been engaged in conversation with other candidates in other cities that care about those issues, healthcare, the environment. And I would like to see a network of cities working together. And I think together we can have some weight uh, to represent our people um, at the state level. 
the only thing I would add to that is I'm with you on the preemption doctrine. I buck the system. Let's let's take it to the Supreme Court if we have to on some of these issues. Um, right, Jesse? <laughs> um, and then I sit on the board of the Porter County Parks and Rec Foundation Board, and you're right. I think we need to do more cross-collaboration. And it could start with me. I can have that conversation and say we need to partner with our city park and let's get some initiatives going. And last, um, it's pretty pathetic that the county jail is our only detox center, and uh, we can do better. And I think it's naive, and I'm going to even say ignorant, of people to say it's not my issue because it costs us more to do nothing than it does to do something. Our last ABC question deals with the economy, and it is again Larry Boss. A lot of these issues are, are tied together, uh, and a lot of you have addressed this a little bit about this already. But we're going to look at economic development. There's been a good deal of praise, I think, um, what, for what this current city administration has done with economic development. Uh, a lot of it tied to what's happened in the downtown area. Okay? The question is, for me anyway, however, what do we do next with economic development, and how do you plan to accomplish that? I think we need uh, more than anything, and I have been a real strong uh, advocate for it, um, and that is uh, we need a dynamic uh, impact uh, uh, study. We, we need to know differently than the study that they are only now initiating, a study that will be designed to tell them that they've done a good job in what they do, what we do, <laughs> we do, um, and we have. We've done a great job with what we do and how we do it, uh, at blowing up the redevelopment area to a point where it's 20% of our city budget, and, um, and it's basically run in a very limited way, uh, facilitating one worldview and or whatever it stems from the highest Palma uh, plan. But anyway, we need a dynamic impact study to see what its overall effect is on every strata of our community. I would argue that it's having a debilitating impact when, in fact, it promotes in its own cells, its own districts, um, uh, Camelot, the shining cities on a hill. Uh, if the money stays in, we continue to service it as that money is taken off of the tax rolls, and it, it, it kind of is a precipitating reason that, um, that there is a greater stratification in among the old Valpo. I call old Valpo my greater district that includes Blaylock and Jesse Piper, well not Jesse Piper, but parts of the central neighborhood. Uh, but the point is that I don't, we're not inclined to do that. I don't think that we want to hear uh, what we may need to be thinking about, and that's what I've always argued for, and that's a balanced use of our, of our one limited economic development tool. Um, so I could go on, but uh, you know, I, I think it's it's corrupt in a manner that it doesn't uh, understand its own flaw in how it has a very weighty and adverse impact on the, the lower end of uh, of the market. So, I heard the bell. <laughs> we must do something to raise the wage base in the city of Valparaiso. This this has been an issue here longer than I want to say. <laughs> when Nancy Bacaric was city planner, I had a conversation with her more than once. We had this conversation more than once. And I said, what is it going to take you know, to get business owners here, owners, creator, job creators, you know, to pay a higher wage considering the cost of living they would continue to aspire to? They go hand in hand. We have to have jobs that support the kind of cost of living that we're driving the bus toward. You can't do it without raising the living wage. And the reality is many of our young people who are serving these $30 and $40 steaks at our pricey restaurants really can't afford even to live here. They are having to move South Haven somewhere else more affordable. There is no public transportation, so to speak, to take the load off there. They need a car. They need to pay gas. They're doubling up. They're tripling up to live and continue to work here. Our businesses, from what I understand, are suffering from that. They can't keep young people here. Add to that our housing situation. 
And not only are they not paid appropriately, they can't afford the rents that are going through the roof. And I mean through the roof. Nationally, just very quickly, this is a national problem. Housing is going through the roof nationally. But the counterpart to that is, the reason is, our wages have stagnated for 40 years. So what can we do? And we need to look at programs that will raise the wage level in Valparaiso to at least be reasonable with what's going on as far as housing. I agree with Sue. Um, I, I, I think it would be um, hard to have Valpo on its own uh, change the minimum wage, um, not only because of state preemption, but also because um, if you don't do it as a region where other people are going to come from and to uh, in that job market, it'll create weird, uh, weird dynamics. However, I can tell you about our philosophy in the little cafe that we run. Um, we own Roots Cafe, my wife and I, and have for almost three years now. Uh, we pay above the minimum wage for our most junior uh, cafe employees. And on top of that, thanks to the generosity of our customers, they earn on average an additional, everybody earns an additional three and a half dollars an hour um, above the wage we pay in tips. And that gets passed through to them. So our high school students are earning, uh, I think, Eleven fifty, eleven seventy-five an hour. So um, I know that's not a living wage. I'm not saying that it is, um, but I'm saying that businesses can, without regulation, make choices about how they pay their people. As far as uh, economic development goes generally, and I know I'm going to get the buzzer here because I'm long-winded. Um, I'm a CPA. I'm a businessman. I spent my whole career in the private sector. When I look at the numbers on job creation in Porter County. It's not even close. 100,000 jobs in the last 16 years were created by new business forming, 40,000 created by existing businesses expanding, and 8,000 created by us recruiting the elephants to come, you know, plant their, their uh, herds here, if you will. Uh, migration, in migration and recruitment don't work. It's a waste of our time, it's a waste of our effort, it's a race to the bottom, and we should stop doing it and focus on cultivating businesses from within this community that pay good wages. I uh, kind of bristle when we talk about uh, economic development and we talk about business versus uh, the, the people because in Valparaiso, the business is the community. The community are the businesses. Uh, yes, we have some companies that are not uh, owned here in Valparaiso or Porter County, but the vast, vast majority of the businesses that uh, are uh, serving all of us are owned by you out here in the in the uh, uh, in the crowd, and you're all employees of those same businesses. Those businesses and the employees do well. Things like healthcare then uh, also uh, seems team is uh, improving. But let's talk about some uh, a couple of small solutions that we can t look at. Um, we've done a very good job in Valparaiso of getting all of our students college ready. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that because they've got the intelligence that they necessarily want to go to college. We need to now start focusing on uh, students that uh, are now going to the Purdue, uh, or Purdue, uh, Purdue would help too, but um, the uh, Porter County Career Center and say those students we value in this community. And more of those students coming out helps those companies that uh, are already in Valparaiso because they come out of there with skills that can pay, that are uh, will be paid for by employers with high-paying jobs. Second uh, matter is uh, uh, we have a lot of people uh, that all of our universities, we migrate out of the state. Um, we, if we look at those people that are in Valparaiso, that lived up, grew up in Valparaiso, they've been gone for five years, we communicate with them and say, you've started your family, you've been gone out, you've sowed your oats, why don't you think about bringing your business back to Valparaiso or do something or come back and work for some of our companies? They already have a connection with our community. Those are the people we need to be bringing back in here instead of sending our kids all out. It was an interesting
interesting uh, thing going on in Hammond where I was talking to a guy the other day and he talked about uh, being, um, being a resident of Hammond. Uh, yeah, he's, he's got the computer store up here on Calumet and, um, and, he, and they incentive uh, college education for modest homeowners, you know, for people in the, well, any homeowner or any resident that gets a, uh, some type of ability to, to after a certain five years or so of committed uh, living. So I think mean, that's another way to uh, maybe be innovative in, uh, in helping to, um, uh, to make us more welcoming for youngsters and families. I don't know why that came to my mind, except to say that uh, it does seem to fall in, in alignment with, um, with uh, things that you do to encourage uh, migration or stayation by uh, young people who are coming out of our schools uh, and going elsewhere. Would everybody please stand up and just stretch for a minute? <laughs> come on, come on. Exercise class. Fed Senny can do it. Anybody can do it. Lois, up. All right, everybody sit down. Now's, the, now is your chance to uh, address these candidates. And, and Dwayne, I'll give it to you first. Your question could be no more than five minutes long. <laughs> no, no, no. Your question should be brief. You may address it to a specific candidate, and we'll let that candidate answer. And then if this works, we'll have maybe one supplementary uh, response so that we can move this around. You want uh, The mic may, get, may, may not make it to you, but we'll get you close. Thank you, Paul. Um, welcome, everybody. I, uh, for Regardless of your motivation of running, I admire that you're tossing your name in the hat, that you're here tonight addressing us. Um, it is curious, if you think about it, that, that we have two parties here and not, not a third. And I'm, I'm, I'm allowing for the Green Party. We have two parties here, but not the third. Um, and it makes me think, is there a forum somewhere else in town tonight where I look at the makeup of the, the crowd here and of the candidates here, and there, there has to be another forum where they're thinking, how can we give away yet more tax abatements? How can we keep undesirables out of our community? Question here. Yeah. I have five minutes, Paul. That was a joke. I can answer that. There's a big meet and greet. Okay. So um, my question is that um, I'm hopeful that uh, the environment is on your mind when you run for office here. And not presuming that it is, if it is, um, could any of you then uh, choose one to two things, environmentally speaking, that you might do uh, if you were to win for the community of Valparaiso? Thanks. All right, so I'm grabbing the mic here. The, the environment is, is the first reason why I am running for city council. And thank you. Thank you. And, and you know what? It, it's it's one thing that's going to make everybody feel a little bit better, and it's encouraging. Is I've been knocking on a lot of doors lately, and when I mention the environment, no matter what political party the the people are, it seems like more and more people are saying, "Yes, we need to do something." And, and maybe the reason why we don't address it is because uh, a lot of time we feel a little bit uh, it's it's a daunting task. It's, it feels like where do we start? What can we do? Uh, well, the first thing to do is to stop talking about it. Uh, all my uh, meeting at city council, I've not heard the word environment, not when we develop a new subdivisions, when, not when we're building a new office space or uh, doing renovation on the city hall or our high school. Uh, there are a lot of things we can do, small and big, and I hope we'll do the big things. Uh, solar panels, obviously, I've got them on my house and my kids' house, uh, six miles outside of Valparaiso. They work, they pay for themselves. Uh, the, we, we should have a resolution as soon as we get started uh, that all our city electricity will come from renewable within a year or less. We, we should have another resolution like many cities have done that, that by at least 2030 we have uh, enough green uh, energy that will cover the entire electricity consumption of Valparaiso. 
Uh, and there are many other things. I mean, I've, I've talked to so many people. We've got water experts. We, we, we have people who know to do gardening instead of mowing our grass with equipment that are polluting. And we breathe all this stuff. Thank you. <laughs> one, one other person oh, may briefly I? comment. Can I? I can't let that go. I mean, I'm, I'm here to represent the Green Party. And so I Aaron, think, you, you know, will get a think chance. at all about the Green Party, you know that it began, you know, with its concerns for environmental protection and anti-nuclear proliferation and so on. They are interrelated in many ways and, and continue to be. And I'm kidding, but I have talked to Jills about why he isn't running as a Green Party because he really is, you know, <laughs> as green as I am. But... There are many things we can do uh, along with the economic development to build in some of these environmental protections. But there are many things we could do. You wanted a brief answer. But I am mostly concerned about the destruction to our trees. Um, I have been concerned about that for a very long time. And um, someone did come to the city council meeting who had 30, how old were those evergreens? 40-foot evergreens all mowed down for a car wash, um, you know, at the, round, at the roundabout. Um, I understand we have a tree ordinance. Um, I would never have known that unless someone had told me that. So, I mean, those are the things that I think we really need to uh, concentrate on when we're elected, right? Erin? Yeah, so as the clerk treasurer, as the record keeper of the town, I will say that one thing that I would like to see is a move into the 21st century, um, have all of our records digital, try to get away from printing. Uh, municipal government is where trees go to die. I, I print like a 300-page document on a regular basis, and I don't think that's necessary. Uh, it's not our policy in Highland, but in Valparaiso, I would absolutely encourage a policy where we got away from using a printer. Thank you. I'd actually like to follow up on this because this is my life, all right? Uh, you know this. Um, um, I'm Elizabeth Gingrich. I teach business law and MBA at our College of Business, VU. Hello, Angie. Um, I've also written a textbook with the main focus of climate change and its impact on various businesses. You can't talk about economic de uh, development. You can't talk about health care without talking about the environment. There's no way. I mean, look at the cancer rates that, uh, compared to when you were kids. And they're, they're, they're really inflicting. Um, they're showing up in 30-year-olds, 20-year-olds sometimes. And this has got to stop. So one of the good things I have seen about this particular town do in the last 10-plus years is develop the V-line, is develop the roundabouts, you know, bring back the trees, yes, but develop the roundabouts. Um, install uh, more bike lanes, uh, more solar-powered um, traffic lights, those types of things. These are all shown to drastically reduce our CO2 footprint, our carbon uh, dioxide, carbon uh, CO2 emissions. Um, I'm wondering, in terms of furthering our green economy um, and, and digital printing, uh, now as an attorney, too, we e-file, and that saves a ton of paper. So what do you guys propose to do of advancing our move, hopefully, towards a greener economy? Who is this question for? It's anybody. Somebody who hasn't spoken yet. <laughs> On this issue? <laughs> or yeah. just in general? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you spread it around. I'll ch yeah, I'll, I'll go, go real quick. Um, one of the hard things about these forums is you get these really complex questions and you get 60 or 90 seconds to respond. But uh, this one's a little bit more relaxed and a little bit more flexible, so I'm gonna give you uh, what I told the VU uh, audience when we had the forum there last Monday. I think it is a social and environmental injustice that it is mandatory to own a car to live in this city, basically. You can take the V-Line, but honestly, it's not very good service. It's, it's, yes, the VU college students, they don't like it. It's not flexible enough. It's not frequent enough. Um, auto dependence is something we've been experimenting with since 1950. And we have tons of suburbs across America that all look the same as a result of it. The only thing, uh, the biggest thing I think that the city can do to have an impact is, I'll say two things. One, start to build a more walkable, bikeable city. Um, 
And number two, when we do, we do have a very big influence on, as I said before, what gets developed and how it's developed and where it's developed. And I don't think we say anything about green technologies or, or, or green standards in those, in those processes today. So um, the city can do a lot. How about EV chargers, too? EV chargers, yeah. There's only, I think, two or two in the whole city right now. So we can, uh, yeah, extend those out to a wider, uh, and any parking lot should have a, an EV charger in it. I just want to add one thing to that. NERPSI, for years, has been trying to encourage, 15, 20 years, longer than that, trying to encourage a change of mindset among people in uh, this area, okay? When I moved here from Chicago, I did not realize that I couldn't take my grandchild for a walk in my community because there were no sidewalks. Um, I, I was shocked that basically people take it as a, 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 a natural born right to be able to have a driveway and just pull into their driveway that there is no such thing as two or three people in a car because everybody is very, very, uh, you know, they want that, they want that. Well, how do we change that mindset? And that has been the problem with developing public transportation in this area for many years besides the racial issue. So, I mean, I think that's something we each and every one of us have to consider as far as what can we do to change our mindset as far as this car, um, this love of cars that we have that are not good for the community and the environment or actually anybody. <laughs> the only thing I'll add to that, um, it, it starts at the grassroots level, empowering and educating people. And um, I started a neighborhood association recently and through the neighborhood engagement program, which I think is fantastic, um, wrote a grant, it got accepted, $15,000 to go toward a sidewalk extension. It dropped and people wouldn't go to the park and they wouldn't walk because they didn't want to go out in the street on Burlington Beach. Second, I asked for a colorful um, crosswalk so that they could continue on and walk to places versus, uh, again, get stuck. And last, we proposed that we build a butterfly garden over at Bicentennial. So there are some very basic things that we can do and it gets people engaged and those rumblings rumble up and we will listen. Yeah, real quickly, uh, before uh, you go, we do have a, a, a city uh, code that uh, attempts to, um, to to make like light switches that automatically come on and off. We've done a very tepid job. We haven't gone as aggressively as, um, as you might uh, think we could with rooftops, gardens, and uh, things of that sort. But that, that does uh, necessitate a, a, a greater revolution and change of mind you know so it's not going to happen with a one body um you know dictating to people that uh, they change um that that's maybe more something that the nerve sea people have innovative ways to engage with larger communities and jill i know you come to a lot of city council meetings but you miss the ones where in fact uh you know the environmental concerns uh, that have been raised and you know with respect to uh, the the Loomis Lake issue associated with the spectacle um, uh, annexation uh, was one that uh, I orchestrated uh, a stop of that by virtue of it being such a debilitating uh, factor uh, and not necessarily something that was as constructive for the city but you know environmental uh, constructive environmental development is something that people will either uh, respectfully consider and, and, and provides for as uh, what we institute in our in our code and or it will just be something that we continue to, to cry for a, a system that's rolling like a like a huge ball uh, that will never change without necessarily you know, having the will of the people uh, to back that up so <clears throat> Uh, good evening. I'm Greg Bagel Johnson. Uh, I have a question that basically, what would you do to reform Valparaiso Community Schools to make them more welcoming to students from non-traditional backgrounds and to end bullying and the regular use of exclusionary or bigoted languages by students there? Well, as a person who grew up in the school system, I'm just going to say this. Uh, yeah, I don't think that uh, y y it's going to happen without, you know, outside forces, I mean, school system itself won't do it. It'll have to be with how the esteem 
of the individuals who might be harmed and or might not necessarily understand the nature of how you matriculate through a system like Valparaiso, um, you know, that, that's going to come from outside forces in the community that engage with these families in a more comprehensive way, helping them to become better owners of their own space and, and, and time there. Other than the administrative level changes or uh, the, the appointment power that you have and having a worldview on that board, that understands how their staffing should reflect sensitivity to this. I mean, it was a shame when we took the Martin Luther King Jr. A day as a day off again after turning it back on to an in-school day and uh, not seeing any teacher willing to sponsor, uh, you know, an event that would give the school system the ability to project that as an important date, meaning that that's sort of global. You know, there's that, that's one side of it. But the other side is what happens, you know, with the kid who, 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 no matter how much infrastructure you put in place, he's still that stratified poor kid against the, the, the system that appears largely affluent and out of touch to him, not, not a part of, as much as we can do to make those kids feel like they own and belong, uh, you know, in ways that they, you know, engage in their communities and their parks with their neighborhoods. Uh, I think that's where that kind of change actually occurs. I don't think it's going to occur in that building. Is there anybody else that would speak to that issue? And the question was, what will you do to foster a change in the schools? Very brief, Susan. Very briefly, if it ever came before me, if I was on the council, I would support an elected school board. I think we absolutely need to have uh, more diversity as far as the people who uh, apply to be in the school board, if we're still going to go that route, but also that they be people who have a well-rounded understanding of not only the finances, but the educational system itself. I was very gratified when... Um, I interviewed with the Teachers Association, um, I mentioned this, that uh, basically when I attended the school board meeting where I, it, there, was a, there was a program that is just flourishing in the schools that actually now is encouraging kids to basically follow their dream. It, all those dreams are not necessarily university degrees. You know, basically kids can make excellent living and we need plumbers, we need carpenters, we need the trades. And rather than, for many years, what the schools did was encourage international baccalaureates and you know all this fancy stuff. And if you didn't want to go to college, that you know you were on a you were a loser. Well, I, I'm happy to say I think that is changing, and it needs to change. So if uh, if a just briefly, if the community ever again, like it did five or six years ago got that petition going for an elected school board, I would be front and center behind that. I think we need to do that. My cord's not that long. <laughs> Hi, good evening, thank you. Um, Jennifer Randall, proud um, Hilltop community resident for over a decade now. Uh, single mom, I don't say that just other than to give you some background so you can understand a little bit of my question. It's an open question. I'd like to hear what um, any or all of you would propose to do for the youth of our community. And not just the um, standard, you know, we're, we were talking earlier about kind of white privilege and, and things like that, um, but the troubled youth, um, the kids that are maybe underserved, um, under-recognized, regardless of color, regardless of income, um, regardless of circumstance, just the kids in our community that are in need. I think it's the first time I use this mic. Um, thank you, Jennifer. Um, I'm a bottom-up guy. I am not a top-down guy. Um, I really believe the power to change uh, our community lies within us. We have more power than we know. And so when I think about a question like that, I really think about, uh, again, neighborhoods. I think about um, nonprofits in our community who are already thinking about and working on this kind of thing. And I think about social entrepreneurs who have an idea, um, 
but haven't had the opportunity or the um, resources really to make that idea happen. So I don't have the solutions to fix the youth problems, but I know that we do in this room. And I would try to put programs in place that just encourage bottom-up solutions to these really complex and interwoven problems. Um, I can tell you that if the issue of a community pool ever came up again, um, I'm pretty sick of kids uh, with a connection to the country club being able to go to the pool at the country club or in the upper, you know, upper end uh, subdivisions where they have their own pools. I'd like to s tell our kids, hey, you're worth a community pool. My, um, that's been up there for years, you know. In the summertime, I have six grandchildren, excuse me, seven, well, one's in high school, but the rest of them are all under, you know, still kids and middle school and grammar school. And, you know, when I think of what do I have that I can take them to? I'm not a member of the country club. I don't have friends at Aberdeen. You know, I mean, what's wrong with their having a community pool? Palatine has a higher median income, but not by much. A higher population, but not by much. And they have three community pools. So I'd like to start with some fun stuff. <laughs> Can I add a quick? Uh, I, I saw some, uh, I read about some cities that have in their city councils, uh, once in a while, uh, some of the youth of the city represented. And I think it's a great idea. Uh, of course, they don't get to vote, right? <laughs> yeah. But And also, we'll need to find a youth that, that represents uh, diversity. That would be a wonderful, uh, I think, addition to our city council meetings. Hi. I just wanted to, I don't know how much more time we have, but I wanted to follow up on about five of the, com the questions because I don't think you answered them. Um, and a lot of it has to do with being specific about the issues that are being raised that hurt people every day, whether it's the bullying in the schools or the kids on Hilltop or healthcare, whatever. I, I think, and, and even when you say, uh, I want to, I'm a top, you know, from bottom up kind of guy, I, I think you have to be really specific about how are you going to listen to people and how are you going to engage people and how are you going to go down to Hilltop and find out what the heck is going on down there and how are you going to talk to kids in the school. I have been to three of these things now. I haven't seen a person of color yet, except Robert. Um, I mean, and I mean, there's a reason that people don't feel like they want to come and talk to you. And I think you have to take really seriously, what are you going to do as candidates, as officials, as a leader of this community, as leaders of this community, to get out there and engage people where they are and to solve their problems and not just give platitudes. And I think the issues about what is going on in these schools, I mean, my kids went to those schools too, and they couldn't wait to get out of there um, because they were different. They felt different. And they're, and they're white and, and, you know, privileged. I can't even imagine what it's like for people who, who aren't white and privileged in this community. But I really think it's important, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but at least think about it. You know, when you, if you win, what are you gonna do on day one to figure out how to regularly engage people in these communities on every single issue that comes up in front of you? And I just would like you to respond to if you could. Well, my... Um... Susan, wait a minute. Yeah. She is asking a very specific question. How are you going to engage this community beyond kind of the business as usual? I'm going to give you each 30 seconds to answer that, and I'm going to start with Bob. Well, you give me 30 seconds to answer a 60-minute question or a 60-minute answer, but nevertheless, Do your you know, best. throughout the course of uh, you know, my life, I've understood uh, the nature of what, um, what, what imposes itself onto people in a way that makes them feel... Um, not welcome. Uh, actually, a teacher, Mr. I shouldn't say his name, a Spanish teacher, he th uh, talked about the, the growing stratification and how harmful he thinks it is culturally within our school. But, um, you know, we're, we are Valpo. We are Valpo. We are the best. We've got cheerleaders right at the top, and they won't see anything different. It all starts with giving the city an opportunity to breathe with what its crying need has been for a long time. And that's compassionate people who understand 
and who will get things done. I mean, I take exception to the fact that I haven't been in Hilltop or I've been everywhere in this city because Republican or Democrat, rich or poor, inside or outside my district, if people want something raised to the public in the public square and give it respectful consideration, they call me. Mm-hmm. And I'm proud of that. And again, like I say, this is a body and a city leader. And again, it, it, it starts here, but it's what we facilitate with, that's within the hearts of so many good people in Valparaiso and the means uh, to make happen. So thank you. That's 30 seconds, right? My- <laughs> 30 seconds is a goal. You'll hear the beeper. You'll hear the beeper and don't go more than 30 more. Uh, We're all available by telephone and email and everything else, but um, what we've done in the Center Township uh, Board is uh, attempted to take the meetings to the to different places and different people uh, and get out into the hilltop neighborhood that uh, has a lot of people that should be using the center township uh, services, uh, regardless of how difficult, how, how much we try getting people to come out to the center township uh, for insulin or anything else, healthcare uh, assistance, rental assistance is very difficult. But we move our meetings around so that we go uh, different places. And uh, we are, in, in my entire life, I've been a face all over the community. So uh, this uh, board is not a two, two times a month situation. We're out there in the community like I've been doing for my entire life. Uh, So working directly with people and being in their homes where they are, um, figuring out what their problems are, which takes active listening. People don't just usually come right out and tell you what their problems are, um, is something that I've spent the better part of my career doing. So I think that's something that I could excel at. Uh, The clerk treasurer's office is unique because there will be customers that come in there on a regular basis. So I think um, establishing just a small thing that I could do would just be to establish a really welcoming environment there, make sure that I'm accessible to every citizen in the community. Um, I don't like this like mentality that city council members or the mayor or the, any elected official is some kind of celebrity or special person. Um, have my cell phone number, have my email address. I'll get back to you in 24 hours if you want to talk to me. So that. Uh, I mentioned earlier I'm a CPA, and uh, 10 years into my career, I was asked at the company that I was with to work on something um, in the operations group. Now, I worked for a company that leased and repaired railroad cars, and I'm, I was a bean counter. Um, the goal of the project was to get out into our repair shops, of which we had a dozen or so scattered across North America from Montreal to Southern California, from the marshes of Georgia to the western plains of Alberta. Um, And my job was to go into those places and to help people uh, see the magnitude of the challenge we faced as an organization and to help them uh, improve their process by listening. We followed this time-tested mantra, go see, ask why, and show respect. So uh, anybody who knows me knows that that is the way that I approach problem solving. Okay, 30 seconds, right? We're counting on you. I have long, first of all, uh, the Green Party's motto is bottom up. I mean, we invented bottom up. So, I mean, that's what we do. You know, we, we start from the bottom up. And part of that, as a reporter, was um, I worked on a project involving seven newspapers. Uh, it was After that, it was adopted by at least 32 newspapers, to where we opened up um, information uh, on the uh, accessibility to your government officials through informing you of your rights to participate through public meetings, and uh, public records. So, I mean, that is a failing that is is very serious in the city of, of Valparaiso. So, that really needs to be opened up as a path to you. And just really briefly, it takes two. In other words, before I decided to run for office, I also posed the idea of a citizen's action group. And I contacted 
some of the more vulnerable, and it takes two. They were actually quite afraid of becoming involved. So, yes, I mean, it, I, I can do all the talking and all the responding that I want to, but you have to remember a conversation runs both ways. So I would encourage people not to be afraid. Um, I will continue the coffees and conversations that I've had for the last 13 weeks out in the public. Um, I'm having another opioid awareness discussion at the Valparaiso Inn. It's my second next week, and I have um, youth and parents, Man Spittler and his wife, um, Mitch Peters, coming to that. I also go to senior centers and engage with the seniors there on those issues. I partnered with Kim Olesko recently for a coffee and conversation at United Way to discuss what we could do about the landlord-tenant issue, and I would love to see you guys there. That's exactly what we have to do. Is it's two-way conversation. I'm there. I'm out there doing it, and I'm going to continue. We, we won't fix what we don't understand. So the, the first step is to listen. And uh, quickly, um, after starting to knock on doors this year, I realized that's what we ought to do next year. After we're elected, we need to keep going to the people, keep going into the communities, talk to the people, but not only talk, listen to the people. And then we'll have to create resolutions, ordinances, or create new boards, ju just address the situation and create solutions. Thank you. We have at most 15 more minutes. I have a question back here and I have a question up here. Good evening, my name is Brenda Coleman from Parkwood Estates. Um, our neighborhood has been devastated by the city. We live right next to that new roundabout and the car wash. Our trees were taken down, 30-year-old evergreens, and just decimated. We've had problems now since the trees went down that I've gotten water into my basement, and we've had construction anywhere from 5.30 in the morning till 6.30 for the last 14 months. So my question is, and I know these good people here, they've been great, um, how can we come together as a community to talk about development and neighborhoods? Because our neighborhood will, will now get 15 vacuums, light pollution, noise pollution. I get the vacuums behind my house, my, neighborhood, my neighbor gets the car wash behind his. I understand about progress, but you need to consider we're all neighbors. Thank you. <laughs> You need to come to city council meetings. You need to come. And not just when something is controversial or when it affects just your neighborhood. You need to show up. I can tell you, working with public officials for many years, it counts. You need to come. You need to be there. They do pay attention if you show up. If you don't, then you know, they have the spotlight. So that's the first thing I would encourage you. Uh, it was too late in your case, but perhaps you would have known if, you know, if, if you were more involved during the process. Yeah, I uh, would just like to say that uh, there, will, there will come a time, even with a Democratic City Council, uh, that there will be that type of perceived intrusion uh, on a neighborhood. I mean, I'm not trying to advocate for that, but I do know that that's one of the more more challenging eventualities um, that, that will occur because we don't stay the same. Uh, the Sylhavy Corridor and all of its uh, impact uh, was decided before 2015. Um, so I, you know, that was, the, the map was already, the die was already cast on that. I'm not certain what the, the pros and cons with respect to the net traffic flow and how it needs to be handled from a safety standpoint, which is what, you know, generated a, a lot of the, I'm sorry, I'm beeping already. But the point is that, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's tough. And I'm not trying to say that it should always uh, be in the in the favor of the residents who feel intruded upon as well as the city should have a very solid reason to explain the greater good uh, for what is being proposed. Uh, that's res the responsibility, I guess, uh, in a long-sighted way uh, of what our role is for the entire city. So, again, Jill, I'm sorry. 
Yeah, so anybody who knows Brenda knows that she, she's uh, pretty much the model of the engaged citizen. Uh, and she's also uh, the best neighbor that I know to uh, her neighbors in the neighborhood. She's done a lot of work, and yet, yet she was not able to protect her neighborhood. And, and one of the first things that I did this year was uh, one of my first involvement with the city council was to uh, talk to the uh, residents of Hawthorne when they were talking about the uh, new development just north of, of where they live. And one thing that I quickly realized is the way that we are doing developments right now, the way we communicate is kind of top-down, like Bill has mentioned several times, uh, where uh, by the time we have a public hearing, it's kind of too late. Uh, we, we, we've had already the, the, the developers and the lawyers and um, uh, talking to the city. And uh, by the time we have the public hearing, citizens are being told, well, no, we've got this check, check, check. You, you don't need to worry about it. So I think we can do a lot better. We can change that model and uh, start talking to the people first. before, Because, yes, developments are necessary, we will have them, but they have to be sustainable and we have to keep our quality of life. My question is just curiosity. Are your positions paid or none unpaid? Do you get paid for being on the council all and all paid. that? All, all of paid. them are paid. Yeah. Uh, Robert, what's the current year salary? It's about $11,000. It's about $11,000 for council. Um, it's obviously a part-time. Well, I don't want to speak for Robert. He works full-time. But um, it's, it's meant to be a part-time role on city council. The clerk, treasurer, and the mayors are full-time salaried positions. And so, too, is how the... How much they were raised to? Uh, I believe... I might be a little... You, you can keep me honest, but I will say the mayor's salary is around 90000 now. 92000 90, And the clerk, treasurer, I want to say is about seventy. About yeah. yeah. What was it? Uh, the mayor's salary two years ago was about sixty. So it was. He hasn't taken a raise ever. We have another question. Hi, I'm Laura Asher. I live in Valparaiso, but south of Valparaiso in the rural community. And I just, um, I guess, I want to make sure that we are not forgotten too. That um, we are a part of Valparaiso community. We do love Central Park Plaza. We love to come to all of the things, but. There's a little bit of, um, we get lost in, in the communication for events and sports activities that are open to all Valparaiso residents, but they don't, the information doesn't really seem to disseminate down to kids that also would like to participate. Um, art programs, I know um, my son last year did um, a basketball clinic at the Valparaiso High School, which was amazing, but we only found out about it through a fluke. I mean, I had no idea that opportunity was available for us. That would I totally would have signed them up earlier. Um, so I'm just concerned that if I don't live two blocks north or south of Lincoln Way, that I'm not going to know about anything that's going on. So... If I need to subscribe to some mailing yeah. lists or, or whatever, I would love to do that. But what, can I, ask? I think I speak for more than just myself. Yeah. A lot of people in my... Well, I, I live a seven blocks. Yeah, I think it's a universal problem, not just not just where you live. But what, what was your neighborhood? Boone Grove. Boone Grove, okay. Um, so... I'll go ahead and say it. My opponent said last week we have a great website. We don't have a great website. We have one of the worst websites I've ever seen for a city. And um, <laughs> so uh, it needs to be vastly overhauled, simplified, streamlined, better information, more easy to access. Um, I work, one of my jobs in my prior company was in the technology space. I built software, I built websites. Um, that will be a focus of mine. It's not going to be my top priority, but it is important in we can communicate in different ways than we used to be able to, and we are not taking advantage of those. I'm going to take one more question, if there is one. Well, I'll take two very brief questions. I, I saw you first, but I owe this one. Yes, you do. Hi, my name is Biff Geis. Uh, I've lived in Valparaiso since 1962. I taught at Valparaiso High School from 1962 to 2002. Okay. I saw that you were 
contrasted uh, with your opponent. He said, he said he's interested in building an all-sports complex somewhere on the edge of town and covered by asphalt. And you're thinking about uh, improving the quality of the local parks. Uh, could you just fill me, give me more details about how that works? You're asking Bill. I'm asking Bill. But yeah, anybody I, I'd know? be happy to. So um, I mentioned I'm a bottom-up guy. I think the youth sports complex as I understand it, which is going to be somewhere near or outside the edge of town. Um, it's not a priority for me. I am much more concerned about our neighborhood parks. Um, I've played baseball with my son at Kirkhoff Park. It's in terrible shape. I've played baseball with my son at Westside Park. It's in terrible shape. I've played baseball with my son at Will Park. It's in terrible shape. <laughs> We need to reinvest in our neighborhood parks so that people can walk somewhere and have a lob ball game like I used to do when I was a kid. They don't need to hop in the car, sign up for the expensive league, drive out to the edge of town, and get involved in these hyper-competitive tournaments, in my view. It's just not my priority, so that's where I stand. Uh, prior, to, uh, prior to running, I, uh, that's one of the bigger things that I campaigned about, and that is uh, a, a priority towards uh, making certain that our parks, being the center of our communities in many instances, the places where people can pull themselves out of the screens uh, and have a similar experience uh, in building community as it was forever, you know, throughout my young uh, youth in Valpo, where Kirkhoff Park was a magnet, and kids have formed lifelong relationships, you know, from the experiences at, at all of our parks, uh, more so Kirkhoff and Tower. But uh, I do believe that they're, they're, they're not uh, exclusive things. Uh, I don't think that uh, one necessarily uh, trumps the other. Uh, in as much as I, I think there may be some merit from an economic standpoint to uh, something like a complex, if you will, that's a different market. The parks are a priority with respect to quality of life for Valparaiso in its entirety, and particularly with respect to neighborhoods and the building of community differently than the pattern that we've been moving on. You know, uh, you can't do one without the other. Last question. Sure, he wanted to talk. No. <laughs> Last question. Okay. Um, one lady asked you about youth activities. And while I agree we need these, you're forgetting the seniors. And before everybody starts going, oh, we have the Bonta Center, it's hard to get to for those of us who don't drive. For me, if I have to go to the Bonta Center, I get dropped off at Lincoln Way. We're looking at a four to five block walk just to get there and back again to catch the bus. If the bus is a couple of seconds early, I've missed it for a whole hour. It's gone. Um, I might want to do something like go to the bowling alley. The bus doesn't even go out that way. Some of the activities that are put out are later at night. We have no transportation for later at night, so we can't go to these things. We're isolated, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that can go to anybody. <laughs> Yeah, I'll talk about transit and uh, and the Bonta Center real quick because these both came up at last week's debate as well. Um, what I've heard from others about Bonta Center, and I'm not going to use Francis's name again, <laughs> but Francis is a, is a member of the Bonta neighborhood. She goes to the Bonta Center, um, and what I've heard from others who work on um, senior programming issues is that other communities in this region are doing better than we are. So um, I think we need to understand what Portage Township and Hobart are doing because they seem to be the gold standard in this region. And just bring some of those ideas here in terms of the types of programs, the number of programs, the timing of those programs. As far as transit goes, um, I, I looked on the website to find out about how you divert from the V-Line. I think you can ask for a special pickup. but. It, but it's either all filled or you need a 24-hour notice. No, two-week notice. Two-week notice now? Okay, so that's even better, right? So I think with, so you can, why can I Uber a car on my phone but I can't get uh, V-Line to pick me up without a two-week notice? So that, that we have to work on. <laughs> I want to thank everybody for coming. I, not yet. <laughs> I want to thank the candidates for coming. And you'll notice that not all of them came. So these guys 
get some thanks for that. And I want to thank the ABC people and Trinity Lutheran Church for allowing us to do this. Thank you all very much. And I'd like to just say this was really one of the toughest agendas, the toughest set of questions that you could put to a body of part-time elected officials who act as a body. I want to emphasize the importance of having a collective ability to, 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 to be a better voice for you by voting and making certain your neighbors vote. That's what matters most. Uh, if you are interested in continuing to be connected to the Agenda for a Better Community, sign up back there. Pat Terrell. And where it says your name, and then it says, it should, should say, if you want information, somehow my husband wrote, if you want infatuation, but it was information. <laughs> um, make sure you make a note for that. <laughs>